Social media should be leveraged by anyone looking to build a brand for whatever reason, whether it's build real estate, sell books, whatever you want to do. It is so highly leverageable to a, to a degree that we could go really, really granular on here. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason, J. Lou Lewis. Today, we're going to be diving into how to never need to use a real estate broker to get deals. So we're diving in today with our guest, who's a co-founder of the Multifamily and More Networking Community. Uh, He has a handful of his own deals he's acquired these last two to three years, and he's just a great guy doing a lot of cool stuff for the real estate community and kind of an expert in overall branding because that is how he was able to get his first deals. Several years ago, he couldn't find deals because he was new. So he said, well, I got to essentially find a way to find deals without using a broker and build a brand and not to really dive into it too much because I'm going to let Mr. Jamie Gruber dive into it. But uh, yeah, he's doing awesome things, creative things. And and as we always end the show, with think outside the box. He, he thought outside the box and got creative to get his deals when he was struggling to find them. So Jamie, let's, uh, let's take it away. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, love the podcast. So it's an honor to be a guest on here today. Well, I appreciate you coming on, giving us a few minutes of your time. So sure. we normally like to start just like your first real estate deal or first itch, you know, just take us kind of back to the beginning of, of how and why you got into the real estate. And then we'll, we'll dive into to the networking and kind of branding aspect of it. Sure. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, somebody gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which everybody has read now that's probably listening to this podcast. And I read it and it was very interesting. Okay, cool. What about my life, right? Kind of just, you know, bought uh, a property to live in uh, in 05 and I did it back then. This is pre-08 with, you know, 20% down uh, from one loan and then the rest of it was another loan. So, hey, why why have any money in the property? Just, you know, do it creatively and and all of that. So, that was 05. Um, working through my corporate uh, sort of career and, and growing in it in 08, um, I take a job with my company in Boston and I can't sell the house that I bought because I'm fully leveraged in it and the market is down because it's 2008 now, right? So I'm holding on to this house while I'm trying to develop this corporate career and this house is just a burden to me. Like, all right, I'll rent it, making a little money off it, whatever, just can't wait to sell it, can't wait to sell it, can't wait to sell it. As I progressed through my career, uh, I got to a point where I wasn't feeling as fulfilled as maybe I had at one point. And, um, on the shelf was this book. I think I mentioned it once, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm in my 30s now and I read it again and it's like, man, I just wasted 15 years, <laughs> you know, like not thinking about uh, the, the lessons of this book when I'm in my early 20s and now realizing the idea of passive income and, and you know, building, building that, that bench of income, if you will. And so, yeah, I'm looking at like, all right, well, real estate makes sense to me. I've kind of dabbled in it. I started listening to Bigger Pockets podcast. And I'm like, well, I got this property that's been an albatross around my neck for the last, you know, seven, eight years. What if I make that an asset financially as well as mentally and kind of draw on the experiences I've had? Like, hey, don't let a tenant say, I'll pay you twice next month. I can't make the rent this month. Don't say, yeah, okay, cool. 
like I did early on when I, when I was running this property, right? Learn all these lessons from it and take that and look to acquire more now that I have, you know, at that point in education, thank goodness for podcasts, thank goodness for networking and all that good stuff. So that the first deal was that one, which I actually only sold this year. Um, so what, 14 years or whatever after I, I originally purchased it. And uh, from that point, I bought two duplexes and bird them, you know, went through the whole bird method. Realized multifamily is a little bit uh, a little bit more sexy, if you will, to kind of get a bigger property all at once. And um, yeah, moved into uh, our first two multifamily deals in the last couple of years here. And that's kind of where I am right now. That's great. Take us into the multifamily more networking group. Kind of why did those come about and how they came about and what's the benefit to you and, and the members at this point? Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, we had a couple of duplexes. So here I'm going like, all right, I got five doors, right? I got two duplexes, a single family. I'm going to buy some multifamily. So let me scratch out a business plan with my partner. I, I found a partner at this point. And we're like, Hey, here's our business plan. Let's send that to brokers. Let's do what everyone says you do. You go meet with brokers. You show them clearly what you want to do. They're going to love that. And they did. And then they'll start sending you deals within your criteria. And that's where everything didn't happen, right? So we, we, we had lunch with them, paid for lunch. They were great. They put us on their mailing list. But then you learn quickly that if you're not a proven closer, especially in the market that was up until now and probably for the foreseeable you know, near future, um, if you're not a closer, then you know, you're, you're down the line. You're down the list. So if we got anything from a broker, it was way outside our criteria if we got anything from them. And it became like, all right, well, we're committed to this multifamily thing. We like what the asset class is and the potential for it. How do we, how do we find deals then if brokers aren't going to bring them to us? How do we, how do we you know, get out there so brokers will like, take us seriously? So we're like, hey, you know what? Let's start a meetup because there were no multifamily meetups specifically in Michigan where I live right now, um, at least in my area of Michigan where I live. So we start this meetup and we were uncertain that anybody would show up to a multifamily meetup. Like, well, no one's doing it. So nobody probably wants it. So let's call it multifamily and more so that we can talk about other things in case nobody comes from multifamily. And we hosted our first meetup and, you know, 15, 16 people showed up and they were all multifamily. That's what they were there for. That was what drew them in. Um, and from there, we just started executing that meetup monthly. What, what it, the realizations we had were like, we created a Facebook group. People started joining that Facebook group. And a lot of people were interested in our market, but weren't from our market, right? So, so they, they would join the group, but there was no way for me to really you know, interact with them or give value to them other than in this Facebook group. So we decided, okay, let's do some virtual stuff so we can, we can you know, get content out and, and, and education or whatever to people that are outside of our immediate area here in Michigan. Um, Real quick, and, when they said, yeah. when you had these, these different members joining that were interested in your market, meaning they were interested in investing in Michigan or just in, interested in the concept of multifamily more and the content that you were putting out? No, was it investing actually, in Michigan. So, okay. so people are from the East Coast, the West Coast, all look at the Midwest, the different, you know, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky, you know, these are the markets they look at because they're inexpensive comparatively. And so we would have people joining like, well, I want to invest there. So there's this multifamily group. I just found you on Facebook. So cool. Uh, I'm part of your group now, but we had no way of really, you know, getting to know them other than maybe a little bit of networking in the Facebook group. So we started doing some virtual meetups and we brought people like Adam Adams on to like do a virtual meetup and have him be the presenter so we could reach all these people. And we quickly realized like, wow, you know, people are, are looking at us now, even though we had no multifamily deals as sort of thought leaders in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the area at least. And we were very clear, like, look, we are learning with all of you. We're interested in building a community. We're not the gurus. We don't have any deals or anything like that. But 
you know, we'll bring people together and add value. And about two, three months after we started, uh, this married couple, Derek and Kelly, came to us and said, hey, we've got this, you know, 16 unit property. We can, there's two eight units, but they're a 16 unit complex. We can do one, not the other, one eight unit, not the other. If you guys want to come in as partners with us, we'd love to love to do the deal with you. So after a courting period, getting to know them, looking at the asset, understanding what it was, uh, we ended up closing on it. So our first deal came a few months after we started the meetup um, and we were off and running. <laughs> That's great. So that leads us to what we started off is saying how to not ever need to use a broker. So you weren't getting the deals because you were, there were 10 on their list, that broker, you were number 10. Or, or lower. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, so you thought outside the box and you kind of created this meetup and, and this community. And then all of a sudden, because of that, if, but not for that, you would maybe not have come across this 16 unit. So it sounds like it, it helped you kind of threefold. One, it helped you learn. 100%. Two, it helped you network yeah. with others. And three, which is probably more, one of the more uh, beneficial is it brought you an actual deal because that's the ultimate end game is, is deals. So yeah. uh, it sounds very beneficial. Win, win, win. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and the fact that we are able to add value to people through our platform has been has been tremendously uh, uplifting for us. So it's fulfilling. So I'll just real quick flash forward as we as we built this brand a bit, uh, this multifamily and more platform. People in other markets that I had gotten to know were like, "I want to do a meetup. Can you help me set one up here? And we'll call it multifamily and more for this city or that city." So we've done that, and we sort of syndicated the brand out, if you will, to eighteen different markets at this point. Um, but with that came deal number two. So we have a Cleveland chapter. The guy that leads that chapter uh, had a deal in his pipeline um, and <clears throat> came to me and my partner said, hey guys, look, we got this thing. You know, what, what do you think about partnering up and doing something on this thing? And we did. So a couple months ago, we closed on our second deal, which is in Cleveland. Uh, my, my role in that is smaller. I'm more, more in uh, for net worth and I took a percentage of the deal and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, two deals now, two for two, <laughs> no broker and, uh, and all through the power of networking. That's awesome. What, yeah. what are, what are some tips that you've learned just through this process that you would maybe do over again, different, or what are some tips that you would for sure do again that others that might be able to benefit from? Yeah, I would say do again. Uh, what I've learned from is Nowadays, the idea of social media, the platform that it is, is free. And it is a great way, especially we're recording this during the COVID crisis, especially now when everything's virtual and you're looking to build um, you know, credibility, looking to build an investor database, looking to get deal flow from off-market sources, leveraging social media to the level that we did. You know, we dove into Facebook groups. We learned how they work, what the algorithms are, how to most uh, effectively utilize them to add value and also get value back for us. So I absolutely would do go all in on the brand building, the social media platform, uh, all of that good stuff. What would I do differently? I would have started with a more broad approach earlier. So we're only recently bringing our brand and our product, if you will, to other platforms for, you know, contextually where other types of users are. So we're just building our Instagram uh, presence. We're just building our YouTube presence. And all of these attract people in different ways and broaden your, your ability to attract investors or attract deals. So I would have, I would have been broader earlier 
uh, as, as opposed to really narrow and then trying to like branch out and do things. Cause I think we could be even further ahead with where our brand is right now. And we get deal flow. I mean, we've done two, like that doesn't mean we don't get them all the time. They don't, you know, they, they come in off market to us quite a bit, you know, Hey, I got this one. Would you like to take a look at it? Maybe we could do something with it. And most of them don't work obviously for us within our criteria, but yeah, I mean, to, to build the brand more broadly and be, be a little bit more, I don't know, spastic <laughs> with putting content out, I think would be the lesson I would, uh, I would take for myself. So we're trying to make up for it now. That is contradicting a lot of suggestions and tips that people say is choose one and master it. If you're going to be on Facebook, master Facebook. If you're going to go the YouTube route, master YouTube. If you're going to go you know, with audio, master the podcast. So you're kind of saying that do them all. Yeah. You most likely couldn't have done, be the master at them all. So maybe dive into a little bit of, of like, it, I guess my question yeah. would be is that it doesn't sound like you need to be an expert. You just need the content out there. It Would that maybe be? I think so. I, I would say this. I think that you have to pick like your core place that you're going to be. Like, you know, Facebook would still be our spot, right? But, but, what, I, what I've learned about content creation in now is, I'll give you an example. We take this, this recording right now, right? Like, so you, you are doing an interview with me. Uh, there will be raw footage of this. What I can do with that, what I was doing with that was, okay, cool. I was on a podcast. You'll market it, and then I'll share it in my Facebook group. Good. Done. Well, now I can take this, right? I can, I can add value to you by taking audio snippets of you or me cutting it up. I can post that on YouTube. I can put that into LinkedIn. It can go into Facebook and I can tag you and this podcast and every one of them to give you better reach so I can add more value to you and also be on every platform, again, contextually. So in other words, you know what that looks like on Instagram, the snippet there might look a little bit different than what you're putting on YouTube because of you know IGTV and do you want to be in that, pl- you know, all that stuff. So I think you can go broad. I think you can do everything because one piece of content, one piece, one podcast, one hour interview, um, a 20 minute, you know, just you talking to a camera or a podcast you do on anchor, something like that. You, you can do anything. You can put any kind of a blog that you write. That one piece can create dozens of pieces of content across multiple platforms. So you're, you're not wrong. I think Facebook groups, the reason why I'm I said earlier, like, I'm glad we did what we did in building a brand and really diving forward and going into Facebook groups because we wanted to build a community. But my learning is that with very little additional effort, like, I, look, I don't post anything on Instagram or on YouTube. I don't do any of that. We have a service that, that takes all of our content, edits it down, and puts it out there. Like, that just wasn't in my purview when I started this out. It was, no, make video, put in Facebook, do all editing, stay up till midnight, all of that stuff, Right. So that's what I mean by I would have leveraged those platforms more. I'm not saying don't dive in and understand the algorithm and know how how a group works if that's where you want to spend your time. But there's no reason we couldn't have been as we couldn't have gone broad with content because we were creating it. We just weren't leveraging the heck out of it like we are now. Yeah, that makes sense that because you're saying with technology and outsourcing and these platforms that you can easily take some of these snippets and put them on there, still get the brand out there, and it not degrade your brand. Because that's, I think, what the difference between maybe five years ago, if you were on all these platforms and different marketing, let's say you were back even before social media, you were print and you had your website and you had mailers. Those are all a lot of work to, yeah. to look decent. And if you got that sent out there and you looked crappy, it actually 
hurt your brand. It didn't not only just didn't do anything, it, it took things back a step. So I think yeah. that's maybe the difference. My takeaway of what you're saying is that. Well, let me, let me double down on that. I think, yeah. I think not having a presence elsewhere is, let, let me ask you, if you see an influencer or somebody that inspires you or somebody, you know, a, a video of somebody that you hadn't heard of before and you learn that, oh, they've got this, this platform, whatever the name of the platform might be, and you go to their Facebook page, oh, okay, they got a Facebook page, you like it. Then you go to YouTube. Are you shocked that with all the stuff you see on Facebook, like they don't have a YouTube channel? What about their Instagram? They don't have an Instagram feed. So to your point, I think, I think in this world, there's an expectation that you're across platforms. There's an expectation at the end of this, I will say, where can you find me? I'm on social at, at this, at this uh, uh, tag, everywhere you can find me here, right? Like not having that lacks credibility. Just like years ago, to your point, like not having a website was like a sign of you know low credibility, right? Like you may not do anything with it, but you had to have a URL. You had to be able to go in and, and type www.jasonlewis.com or whatever. Otherwise, there was like lack of trust. I feel like it's the same thing nowadays. If you're not broad, you know, there's a credibility gap there. It makes sense. Speaking of websites, what do you think of uh, websites? It's that's a topic I've never really asked uh, any of our guest about their website because everyone's talking social media and blogs and and podcasts but that's an interesting question someone like yourself is that do you, is a requirement anymore to have a sweet website sweet no website yes so it's a great it's you just took right where i was going to go with it like i think having a website well first of all it's so low barrier right you can you could buy a url for $5 and uh, and and put it on a platform like wix or whatever um, you can, or GoDaddy, you can, um, you can use these, those same exact, uh, uh, services to create a website in like 15 minutes. I mean, you don't want it to be garbage. You don't want to look, you know, to your point, you want it to look decent, but I, you know, the, the nowadays, the one page site, maybe there's some links at the top, but it literally just links down to a lower part of the same page. I think that's enough. That's enough where you can, you can house information. Now, I think a blog, you know, we don't do this right now, but I think a blog on a website makes sense. If you're going to be, you know, writing LinkedIn articles, well, why not just take that and repurpose it as a blog on your website? There's things you can do with the site. I don't think it's, I think it's way less necessary than years ago. I don't think people look at you like, Ooh, no website. That's crazy. If you have a broad, a, a large social media presence. Um, but I've seen I, I, Dane Cook. Do you remember Dane Cook? You're the actor? The, yeah, the comedian, the actor is yeah. huge for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know if I would, I, I think say an actor would be uh, a, maybe an overstatement, more of like maybe a comedian. He acted like yeah. an actor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so. if you go to his website, and this was maybe a year ago, I haven't looked recently. I don't even know why I was looking at it, but his website is literally a landing page with four links on it his YouTube channel, his Instagram uh, link, his Facebook link, and his Twitter link. That's it. That's his website. So you, danecook.com. I, I might be lying at this point. Maybe he changed it, but that was all that was on it. So I think a website is so easy to make and put up just to have it so you can house like a, a repository for wherever, everywhere else that you are. But I, I don't think it's critical, but I do think it's a, it's a good touch. It's like anything. It's, uh, it's sending a thank you card after an interview, right? It's not like, oh, you didn't do that. That's terrible, but it's a nice touch. That's how I see a website nowadays. For sure. Well, what are, what are some other kind of unique things that you've learned through this process of building the, the network that you've had that, that brought you some of these off-market deals. Any, any other kind of aha moments where it's like, oh, wow, okay, this is, this is definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, 
a couple of things. Well, definitely. Well, okay. So definitely worth it. The reaction I get from people, especially those that you never hear from. So you put out, you know, a video, uh, a post on, on, in your Facebook group or whatever, and it gets, you know, 80 likes and 40 comments or whatever the case may be, but there are 2000 or 3000 members in that group. You're thinking like, okay, well, you know, you know, most people aren't engaged with this stuff at all, but once maybe twice a week, I get a messenger message from somebody I've never heard of. I don't even, I didn't know they were even part of the group just saying, Hey, I'm not active, but I watch, I see. And some of the stuff that you guys have been putting out has really like, has meant a lot to me, uh, especially recently. And they'll maybe even point sometimes to a piece of content, like this piece of content, I needed that this day. So thanks for that. I just wanted to reach out and say, thanks. I love what you're doing. Uh, Keep it up because you do, you look at it like, ah, nobody's looking at this stuff, but it's amazing to me how many people are because I get that I get that frequently. Uh, so that's been an aha moment for me. Like, don't like I worry, of course, about the noise of it. Like, oh, how many likes? How many comments? How many followers are we up to on Instagram? How many this, that, and the other? And I try to tell myself, stop. I try. It, it's hard to because I I just want to see. But but it's true what they say. Like you put that content out, put it out for you. It'll resonate with other people, and that's what's important. That's what in the end is good karma, good juju. Um, and that's been a, a key learning for me because even the people that we've done, we've done the deal with, they weren't active people in my community. Like they just, Hey, you know, we've been seeing what you put out there. The only other aha moment, and I credit Adam Adams, uh, who I know, you know, well, uh, uh, with this a bit is he made this point that it takes about six interactions with somebody before they truly know, like, and trust you. And of course, people who know, like, and trust want to invest and provide capital and deals to you. The, the, the platforms that are out there now, like, you know, it used to be, you'd have to go to a meetup if you're the host once a month in order to interact with people six times. So it takes you six months to get to know them before you can, you know, really get them on the point of knowing, liking, and trusting you. Now with mediums like Facebook live, with Instagram live, with all the, you know, with, with virtual meetups, with the, all of these virtual means you can, you can get to know people that you've never pressed the flesh with ever very well to the point where, and they do and have say, Hey, listen, I've got X in an IRA. You know, if you're looking to deploy capital, just let me know about your next deal. So I hear that from people often and I've never physically met them. So that's been an aha as well. Yeah. That is the power of social media. Sometimes they actually can feel more engaged with you because they're seeing that the natural raw just get it out there. And when you meet up with them at the, those meetups, then you're, you're, you're just getting a little snippet and you're kind of just getting what they're projecting at that time and that meeting. It kind of, it's, I mean, you go into those to, to, to kind of peacock. Everyone puts their, their big old feathers up and they just yeah. walk around and they're like, hey, I'm peacocking right now. And then you do that six months and then it's like, who's got the feathers that attract me or the biggest feathers? But I think- yeah. Uh, and social media is if you put it out there raw and just get it out there. And I think it goes back to maybe your, your point um, of just get it out there broadly. People are just starting to see a little, little snippet, a little snippet and a little snippet. Next thing they know, it's the K, KL, KTL, no, no like KLT, no KLT, like trust. No like trust. So, yeah. Look at you. So, yeah. And two points on that you mentioned. I think when you're, if you're going, if anyone on this listening to this is thinking, this sounds good. I've been thinking about maybe a thought leadership platform. You know, I've, I've listened to different people like this guy and it seems to make sense. You said two things. One is vulnerability. 
hundred percent. That is, that is important. I say that all the time. You can't, you can't go on there posturing. You just got to be you. If you screwed something up, talk about it. If you just as much as you're going to talk about your wins, you got to talk about the the failures and everything, but you have to be vulnerable, no doubt about it. Um, and there was a second point that just slipped my mind, but, but I'll come back to it. I'm sure. But one thing you said earlier too, um, is, you know, using social media, it, it kills me when I hear people say, I, ah, yeah, I got rid of Facebook on my phone because it's a time suck. It's, you know, it's, too, it's like, if you're in this space and you're looking at social media as something that you get absorbed in or dive into, or, you know, you get sucked into, then you're looking at the medium, the platform completely wrong. Like I don't really follow anything on social media. Like I don't look at anything. I mean, I'll go through just to not feel like a jerk and like, like the first six things that pop up in my feed. I like, 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 like just for whatever reason, you know, I'm not saying never, but I rarely consume social media. Social media can be leveraged and it should be leveraged by anyone looking to build a brand for whatever reason, whether it's build real estate, uh, a real estate portfolio, attract capital, sell books, whatever you want to do. It is so highly leverageable um, to it, to a degree that we could go really, really granular on here. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's all I wanted to say was, was, uh, the, the whole idea of, you know, getting sucked into social media. Um, it's a tool to use, not something to get sucked into. So I'll get off my horse. I know. I, I got a text yesterday from one of the guys we were chatting CRMs and he's like, you know, you know what? I think I'm just going to get off social media completely. Just be done with it and just do my deals and just be done. And because I think he was just getting enough inbound and cl- and clutter. And and I think to your point, maybe that sometimes you look at it incorrectly versus just looking at social media as, as a tool, not as TV. I think that's it's clutter if you look at great it as point. entertainment. That's a great point. If you're looking at it as entertainment in between um, meetings or before you go to bed or when you first wake up of a morning, that is clutter in your life. That is negative. Um, just like watching too much TV is. But I think if you look at it as a tool, just as anything other any other tool in your quiver, I know Adam is is big into kind of you, you gotta have your your quiver of arrows and each one is a, is another arrow and another tool in there. So I think it's just another tool. Yeah. But sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, last kind of quick comment on social media before we'll take a quick break is that I fall in that too. I'll, I'll get in there and then I'll get messages from people and they're random and they're like, and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I even posting this? It's just, and they're make comments, uh, asking questions and I know they'll never do a deal. I'll give them my time. And I'm like, this is just waste. This is just frustrating because hundred percent chance they'll never do a deal. And I'm giving 30 minutes of my time. But to your comment about that person those reaches out that you don't even know is kind of out there watching, those are the ones that make it make it worthwhile. 100%. Yeah, I agree so, completely. So yeah. Well, it's been an awesome uh, little community you've built. So let's take a quick break here from our sponsor. We'll jump right back in and finish up with our final five. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind 
uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. We are back from break. We're jumping right into the final five with Jamie Gruber. Jamie, what's the most creative real estate deal that you've been involved in or, or maybe heard about through your, through your network? Uh, the most creative one I've been involved in is the most recent where it was under contract for us a year ago at a certain price. I don't even remember the price, uh, fell out of contract because there was just terrible. We couldn't, we couldn't verify the, the, the income. We couldn't verify anything. So it was just, we walked away from a pure mom and pop situation. It was just, it was difficult. Um, the, the guy, this is the deal in Cleveland I mentioned earlier. The guy in Cleveland kept at it, stayed with that owner, stayed with that owner. And a year later, um, put the deal back together. And the only thing he was lacking was net worth on it, a net worth sponsor, somebody to come in and just sort of, sort of help secure the thing. Um, so brought me in on that. I took my chunk, no money in for me. And, um, and you know, the risk for me is to guaranteeing the deal, obviously, or being one of the guarantors on the deal. Um, so that was for me, you know, a creative way. I hadn't done that before. So, you know, for, for, so for me, it was the most creative transaction I've done. Everything else has been pretty straight line, buy, fix it up, refi out of it and, and go from there. But that's probably the most creative I've had. That's great. So that's, that's creativity and adding value where it's, you're able to help them and they're help you and everyone added in what they could. And ultimately that was enough to, to get a sweet deal. It sounds like. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, where, uh, where do you see the market in the future, maybe five years and kind of where do you, where do you see yourself at that time? Any specifics that you kind of can envision out there or guess? So market wise, you know, commercial real estate generally right now, I think is at a, at an extreme crossroads when you kind of go down the line and I'm no expert on this, but this is just my sort of, you know, my look at it. Uh, retail's in trouble has been COVID is, is making it more in trouble in my opinion. Um, the same with uh, with office space. You know, I think there's going to be somebody that that is more creative than me that figures out ways to to you know really drive those those asset classes. But at the end of the day, good workforce housing, the A class stuff, no, like the D class stuff, no. But that B C class housing that that you know that houses workforce, you know, people that are blue collar working or or, or white collar to some extent. I think that is as strong as it is now eventually. I think there'll be a dip along the way, but I think it's as strong now, if not stronger, um, in five years. I think it's something I think the multifamily on the commercial side is the is the premier asset class. I think it wins um, you know, eventually, no matter what happens and no matter what the cycles look like. So that's my prediction, if you will, for the future. For as far as me, um, as I as I as I build the brand and learn what I love about that. Right there's certain things that just appeal to the nature of me. Um, I realized that I want to blend more of a passive and an active role in real estate. And what I mean by that is now I'm starting to focus on some of these larger syndicators and placing capital with them um, and letting them do all the work. As a as a as a mentor of mine says, you know, get in their wake. You know, like just hook to their boat and get in their wake um, along with the active deals. Like, yeah, you're not going to make as much, but to do nothing. You know, virtually nothing, and and get a return from reputable syndicators uh, is attractive to me. So I see myself having a portfolio that's probably tilted more toward the passive side of things 
um, but with still some active stuff in there. Like I love my duplexes. I love the town I have them in. So I might even buy more there of that three, four, five, ten 10 unit properties there uh, to actively own. But on the big stuff, you know, placing cash, I could see myself being, being overbalanced on the passive side of that makes sense. Great. What's a book or maybe a podcast, something that recently has kind of been a favorite of yours that you'd like to share? The one I share all the time is a book called Outwitting the Devil. It's a Napoleon Hill book. Not sure if you've heard about it. Um, Think and Grow Rich gets all the publicity and rightfully so. It's a great book. Outwitting the Devil is the book behind the book, um, in my opinion. So it was written in the 20s or whenever, back when Napoleon Hill was around, but not published till the 2000s, early 2000s, because of the controversy in the writing. He literally interviews the devil, at least, you know, he's giving the devil life in the book, which I'm sure was part of the controversy. Um, so it's just this back and forth between him and the devil. And it, and it's sort of, his point is identifying how the devil truly, truly uh, works. It's not, you know, famine and war and all that. It's, you know, pretty much putting obstacles in the way of people from them uh, achieving their full potential, making them drift essentially. Uh, that book was transformational for me. So that's my biggie. Awesome. One I have not read or listened to, so appreciate you sharing that. Sure. What's your favorite way? My guess is going to be your communities, but what's your favorite way that you like to give back to the community that's given given to you over the last few years? Yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever I can within the community that I'm in, I, I've, I've been fortunate to build. With the network, I've also built a network of, of people like an Adam Adams, a Gino Barbaro, um, you know, people like Brandon Turner, people that I've, I've, I've been able to get into proximity to that aren't always uh, uh, available to, you know, most newer investors. So to bring those folks monthly, uh, once a month, we do something called a virtual mastermind where one of these folks comes on a webinar and they get essentially with me guiding it, an interactive podcast experience. So they get to ask questions of a guest like Adam uh, or others, along with me kind of driving the, the, the podcast, if you will. Um, when we create content, leveraging that network, and then we package it like on our YouTube channel, we just put out a newbie playlist. So all these, these folks talking about getting into real estate and things they learned or whatever, we've created a playlist. A lot of people ask about syndication. So we take the time then, you want to know about syndication? Great. I'm going to interview these five people about raising capital, how to create a fund, what syndication is, take that stuff, create a playlist and publicize that to folks that need it. Um, that's the way I think we give back is, is understanding the needs and keeping a finger on the pulse of our community and then creating the content and bringing the value that they desire as opposed to what I think is best for them. That's great. What's the best way? I know you'd mentioned you're all over social media, very broad, but what's, yeah. uh, what's the best way that we can throw in the show notes for people to reach out to you if, if they want to learn a bit more about your community and, and maybe yourself? Sure. You can still go to our website, multifamilyandmore.com. Um, on Facebook, on Instagram, it's at multifamilyandmore, youtube.com slash multifamilyandmore. Uh, uh, LinkedIn is at multifamily and more. So on any of those platforms, if you just search the phrase multifamily and more, you'll find us like our page, subscribe to our channel. And uh, we've got some pretty cool stuff that we can hopefully help folks with that are, that are trying to learn the game. That's great. Excited to see what the overall community does this next few years going from 18 to 36 to 72. So you're going to be taken over. So I'm, I'm excited to That's follow the goal. that and, and watch the success and all the value that you guys give to your members. So really appreciate that. No, thanks for having me on. Truly an honor. Thank you. Well, excellent. Well, 
as always, my friend, until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.